0: how should we live in a culture that is ever increasingly hostile to the gospel? In a culture that is ever increasingly hostile to Christ Jesus and to those whom he has has bought with his blood, the church, And a culture who is hostile to the word of the Lord, hostile to his commands, they're they're not neutral, they're not tolerant. They don't allow it, they don't celebrate it, they don't desire it. They're hostile to it. The world does not love the church. The world does not hope good for the church. The, the
1: world does not hope that the church prospers, that the church grows, even when the church feeds the poor, even when the, the church takes in orphans, even when the church takes care of widows,
0: when the church gives to the feed, the needy. The world does not care. And all you have to do is look around. You know what I'm talking about. You can turn on social media. You can turn on the news. And you see the, the world wants nothing to do
1: with Christ, and in fact, it's ever becoming more hostile towards us, towards the church. We're shielded from it a bit here in America, just just a bit. We're not; di- most of us aren't dying for our faith, and but many, ever increasing, are losing their jobs because of their faith, or losing friendships, or losing family because of of their faith. We're, we're seeing that more and more. We can we can go
0: to Afghanistan, and we can see that Christians are losing their, their lives for. For their faith, and I really, I really believe that in in the coming years, in the coming decades, even even in this country, following Christ is going to cost you something, Christian. It will. It will. Are you prepared for that day? Not if it happens, but when it happens. Are you prepared? In the book of Hebrews, we see this amazing epistle written to a group of Jewish Christians who were tempted. To walk away from the faith. In the midst of their culture, there was persecuting them. In the midst of a culture where these Jewish Christians, because of
1: their faith, they were losing friends, they were losing family, they were losing their livelihoods, many were losing their lives. Just ever-increasing pressure, ever-increasing hostility towards the gospel, ever-increasing hostility towards the church, towards them as Christians.
0: Their temptation was to walk away. Their temptation was to hide. Their temptation was to go back to the law.
1: Their temptation was to go back to Judaism. I'm talking about Judaism apart from Christ. Apostate Judaism. That's what they were tempted to, to, to go back
0: towards. We'll just worship God this way. And the book of Hebrews is is written to encourage those Christians who are tempted to give up. To challenge those believers who, who would potentially think about doing such a thing. It's
1: full of rich doctrine. It's full of strong exhortations, one of which we'll talk about this morning. Oh, don't talk about the, the, the glorious reality of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross and the implications of that and the implications if you reject that. It's a glorious book that we will spend just a brief amount of
0: time in here today. My text this morning is Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25. But before I get to Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, I want to go to the verses right after that. I want to start off with a warning. It's a sober warning. It is a heart-pounding
1: type of warning as as we sit here and we read this. As you sit under the preaching, it's 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 a heavy warning. I realize that. And I I
0: want you to know, church, right now, this is a fearful warning. It is. And I refuse, as a preacher of God's word, to soften it for you. Because I love you, church. I love you. We need to heed this warning. We need to observe this warning. And we need to understand this warning and its implications to its fullest extent and not soften it. Let's look at this warning. This warning to those who would leave Christ, who would abandon Christ and go back to their old ways. Let's look at this Warning Hebrews 11:26 For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the
1: knowledge of the truth there no longer remains
0: a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Go down to verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you
1: have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. Hear that. You have need of endurance, so that that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him.
0: But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is a warning. This is a sober, serious warning with eternal consequences. Do you see it? Those who would not persevere and endure in the faith, those who once said they had faith in Christ Jesus, but did not persevere, did not endure. They should expect to see the eternal wrath of God. The judgment of God. Not salvation, not purgatory. Middle ground here, God's wrath in all of its fullness, church. And you're saying, sounds a lot like works righteousness, Brian. Surely you're reading it wrong.
1: Surely you're understanding it wrong. No, I believe this is painting a picture. As Matt months ago preached, the parable of the soils, I believe this is painting a picture of, of the soil where, where the seed is planted, and it, and it appeared for just a little while to produce fruit, to, 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 to sprout. But in a time of, of temptation, it fell away. a time of trial, it fell away, and it produced, it, it, it proved that, that there was never actually fruit in the first place. There was never actually salvation in the first place. There was never actually trust
0: in God in, in the first place. But we go all throughout the word of God. And we see
1: that the gospel, when implanted truly in someone's heart, it produces a fruit everywhere, every time, every Christian, period. And our problem, listen, our problem is this this morning. Our problem, this is in our country, in our world even. We have an insufficient view of the gospel. And it's a provocative statement but I believe it. We have an insufficient view of the gospel.
0: We think simply that the gospel is this. How can I not go to hell? That's it. I just don't want to go to hell. And, and so when we, when we go to KSU, our,
1: our mind is, is this. What information do I need to impart to this individual? Just a bare minimum amount of information so that they will not go to hell. It's because we narrow the gospel down
0: to this. Only what we are saved from. Only what we're saved from. That being hell. That being the wrath of God. And that is the extent of the gospel.
1: And if you'll, and if you'll notice in the book of Luke so far, and the more we'll continue, I want you to write this and, and test this, what I'm saying here this morning, throughout our, the rest of our time in Luke. Most of what Jesus talks about, he does talk about being saved from the wrath of God, but most of his focus in his ministry is what we are saved to.
0: Not just what we're saved from. We we are saved to this eternal glory,
1: being with Christ Jesus, being transformed by
0: Jesus now, and being sanctified by Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus every day walking by faith, being Christ's image bearers here in the world. Christ says, if anyone would come after me, he must what? He must take up his cross and follow me. I'm sorry. If if anyone should come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. This is a, a, a life-changing thing. The, the gospel is not a one-time I'm saved from sin.
1: Just, I'm just in this waiting room called life, waiting for, for me to be called into eternal glory. No. We are saved unto something. We saw that all throughout the, 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 the word Ephesians 2.8.9, for we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Amen, amen. Why? We are saved for the purpose of good works that God determined beforehand so that we should walk in them. Christ Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says this, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. In the book of James, James says this, that if you say that you have faith but you don't have works, in other words, if you say you have, uh, have
0: salvation but there's no fruit in your life. It's just... I'm saved from, from something, but I'm not saved to anything. Your faith is worthless. It's not true faith. It's not biblical faith. And so when we get here to Hebrews chapter 10, I know it was a long introduction. When we get here, what would faithfulness look like?
1: What would endurance look like? Like, like? I get it, Brian. Like you're just putting this like heavy,
0: heavy weight. I, I need to know what does endurance look like? Look to Hebrews ten nineteen through 25. Please follow along as I read. Therefore, brothers, since
1: we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh,
0: not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging
1: one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. May God bless the reading of his word. My main point this morning is this. Until Christ returns, church, we are called to draw near to God, hold on to hope, and encourage one another. Until Christ returns, we are called to draw near to God, hold on to hope, and encourage one another. Point one this morning. Because of
0: Christ, we have confidence. In an ever-increasing hostile world, we can have confidence. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that we can have confidence? God's word tells us this. He says this in in verse 19. Brothers, we have confidence. Confidence to what? Confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And that we have a great high priest over the house of God. We have confidence to enter into the presence of God. Now, that may not wow you, but it should. I'll tell you this, it wowed first century Jews. Because in Leviticus chapter 16, we, we see... Regulations for the, the, the Day of Atonement.
1: And when it's speaking here of the confidence to enter the, the holy places by the blood of Jesus, I believe the readers would have understood this as, we have confidence to enter the holy of holies. Which would blow the mind, again, of, of first century Jews. Because in... in, in Leviticus chapter 16, you don't have to go there. If you want to study it this week, you can. Look at all the regulations and rules that were required for the high priest to enter into the Holy of Holies. In in Leviticus 16.2, it says this. "It The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. God's pretty blunt. God's like, I'm just going to let you know. You come into the Holy of Holies whenever you want, where, where God dwelt, that's why, where a holy God dwelt in the Holy of Holies, okay? That's why he couldn't come in. If you come in whenever you want, however you want, just casually, you will die. Warning sign. It's not like one of those warning signs that you, that you see when you're about to ride six flags. You know, it's got this, you know, you shouldn't ride it if you're pregnant. You shouldn't ride it if you're, you know, got health conditions because you might die. Ain't like that. This ain't kind of one, one of those warning signs. This is if you enter, you will die. 100% bet on it. You will die. Can you imagine? Can you imagine for just for just one moment, that, that like even as you were the high priest, and like God's given you all these regulations that you would that you would approach this holy of holies after the regulations after after the uh, if you go read Leviticus sixteen, he, he had to wash himself in blood. He, he had to before he entered the, the holy of holies, he had to uh, to make a sacrifice for himself and for his family for his own personal sin. He had to he had to sacrifice uh, a bull. And he had to wash himself in water and he had to wash himself in blood, and then he would approach the Holy of Holies, and in there he would make a sacrifice again for the, for the sins of the nation. He had to wear specific garments. And if one of these steps was missed, one, he forgot the belt, he forgot the water, or the wrong out, whatever you name it. Guess what happens? He dies dead. Right there, And God was just and holy and right to kill him for such a sinful human being to approach the presence of God. Why? Because in God there is no sin. God cannot and will not desire fellowship with darkness. Not at all. You see the severity of what it meant to enter into the holy of holies. To approach God, he couldn't do it. It reminds me of a story back in 2003. I was in high school, at Harrison High School down the street. And and, and in 2003, it was pretty cool. We had the opportunity. Uh, President George W. Bush came to our high school. It was awesome. It was like 2,000 kids at our high school and I was one of like 40 that that, that got to be there and, and, and hear President Bush speak. The rest were like business people from Cobb County. So I was all giddy. I was stoked. I was wearing a suit. I was looking good. I was sitting like right on the side. President Bush would have would have kind of been looking this way, sitting over, uh, standing over there, and he gave the speech. It was awesome, you know. It was only not too long after 9-11, so you know it was like rah rah, you know. It was, it was awesome. Well, after President Bush was done speaking, there, you know, he, he was coming around and he was shaking everybody's hands, and, and right in front of me there was an aisle, and this was the aisle through which through which all of the, the media was passing through and some of the other politicians were passing through. But just pretty, pretty much for the main, most part, it was a clear aisle. And right in front of me, about four feet in front of me, there was a Secret Service agent. And that Secret Service agent, he wasn't letting anybody in that aisle. He wasn't letting anybody close to the president cross that aisle to get, get to the president. And so I remember this as this President Bush was coming. I, I really desperately wanted to shake the hand of President George W. Bush. I really wanted to. And as this antsy little 17-year-old. Like, I'm thinking about it. But at that moment, as he gets closer, I kind of started, you know, like I was, like, was kind of feeling like, I'm, I'm going to do this. That Secret Service agent said, no, you don't. You're not getting close to the president. In that moment, I knew I, I had three options. I could get arrested. I could have my nose broken or I could die. None of those were worth shaking the president of, the hand of President George
0: W. Bush. I was not on my own terms going to approach George W. Bush. It wasn't gonna happen. And that's just the President of the United States. Imagine a holy, sovereign, all powerful God. We do not approach him on our own terms. We couldn't. We can't. We would die instantly. That is our holy God. But it's good news. <laughs> Do you understand this? There's so much good news written here. Because
1: on our own, we could never approach God. On our own, we could never have fellowship with God. On our our own, we could never draw near to God. But because of the blood of Christ, because of his sacrifice, because of his righteousness, we can draw near to God. To God. Because of his atoning sacrifice, his once and for all sacrifice, his, his sacrifice as the high priest coming and making a sacrifice not for his own sin. Not for his own sin. But his sacrifice, is once and for all sacrifice. Offering up his body. Offering up his pure, holy, righteous self who, who achieved all of the righteous requirements of God. All the righteous requirements of the law, he offered himself on the cross to make atonement for our sin so that we, for eternity, could dwell with God. Oh, what good news that is, church. What good news that is. And not only can we approach God, not only can we have fellowship with God, what's the word say? We can approach God confidently. Isn't that crazy? We can approach him confidently. We can approach him joyfully. We need not approach God as if he's just going to strike us dead. You know why? Because we are in Christ Jesus. We are. But don't Don't be mistaken here. This does not mean that we can approach God flippantly. It does not mean that we can approach God casually. Christ's work on the cross, it didn't diminish the holiness of God as to bring God down to us. Christ's work on the cross, it hit us in Christ so that we can approach God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We understand
0: the difference. God didn't change his standard. Christ's sacrifice was just that good.
1: Paid in full. So understand, to approach God, to what we're saved unto, to to approach God, there's no extra work that needs to be done. No amount of good works, no amount of evangelism, no no, no amount of church attendance, no amount of anything, no, no amount of your own individual work is needed
0: in order to be saved. Christ accomplished it all. We have confidence. Point two, because of Christ, we are called to draw
1: near to God. Because it's like saying this, therefore, brothers, the writer of Hebrews is saying this in verses 19 through 21. He's giving us this indicative we can approach. We can approach God. We can enter his presence. We can have fellowship with God. That's an indicative. Because of that, verse 19, therefore, because of this, verse 22, we're called to draw near to God. Because we have confidence to draw near to God, we should draw near to God. That's my point too. Because of Christ, we are called to draw near to God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We see this church. We're saved from our sin, from the wrath of God, by the blood of Christ. But that's not all that we were created for. We were created for fellowship with God. Not just created for being saved from the wrath of God. We were were created
0: for fellowship with God. Therefore, we we were called to draw near to God with a true heart.
1: We see in, in the garden, God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in this pristine environment, a sinless environment. A- a- Adam and Eve are there, and they're fellowshipping with God. What ended that?
0: Sin. What was the point, though? The point was, God creates these people to fellowship with God. Christ comes. Christ has dealt with our sin.
1: Christ has paid for our sin. Because of Christ, we can have fellowship with God. So what's, what's, what, what do we do? We draw near to God. That is, the, that is the response. Again, we're not in a holy, a holy waiting room. We're called to pursue God. We're called to understand God. We're called, we're
0: called to draw near to God in full assurance. We approach God with full assurance. We, 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 don't, we don't need to come
1: approach God you know, with like, a, a, as if we've got something. God, are, are you sure? Are you sure here, God? Are you sure I can approach you? I mean, yes, there's a holy fear for God that even the New Testament speaks of for, for believers whose, whose transgressions have been paid for. We should still, still fear the Lord, but, but, but we don't come as acting as if our sin has not been paid for on the cross. We come in, in full assurance, not in our own work and not in our own lives, but in life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, we come in full assurance. We come with consciences that have been cleaned. This gives us pictures. Again, if you go back to Leviticus 16, you see, you see the, the priests, they had to be cleaned by the water. They had to be cleaned by the blood of, of the sacrifice. And, and Christ has done this. Christ has sprinkled us clean. He, he, he has cleansed us from our evil consciences. And he has, he has washed us with, with pure water. Christ has done this.
0: Again, can you imagine? Can you imagine? What first century Israelites would have thought of this? You're telling me that, that, that I, I can approach God and I don't need to make
1: all these continual sacrifices. I don't need to be sprinkled in blood. I don't need a priest that, that, that continually needs to do that for me. You're telling me that I can have
0: fellowship and draw near to God Almighty because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Oh, how amazing. We we just take this for granted, church. We take this for granted.
1: We think little of our sin and little of God's holiness. Oh, but when we see what Christ has accomplished, how can we not draw near to God? How can we not just orient our whole lives to draw near to God? I'm talking every aspect of your life. How can we not just say, like, oh, God, I just, I just, I've got to draw near to you. I've got to know you better. I've got to love you better. I've got to serve you better. Just, this is amazing. All of this we see, this whole world, the mountains, the trees, the sun, the stars, all created by you for your glory. And you
0: invite me to fellowship with you. How amazing. How amazing. How amazing it is that that we would pack 6,000 people last week into
1: into a convention center to to hear Votie Bauckham preach and hear John MacArthur preach and and to hear all these amazing preachers. And we're "We're so intentional. It's been planned out for months. And and we're like, this is awesome. But then God is like, on our own, like when we have the opportunity, whenever, just to, to draw near to God and his word, and we just neglect it. We just neglect it. We have the opportunity to, to draw near to God in prayer, to pour out our hearts before him, to, to speak to him, and, and for him to speak to us. We just we just neglect it. And we call our, we and we just we we just sit there and rest confidently that we're Christians and have no desire to, to draw near to God. I just I just fear at times if our lives are characterized by by just such a lack of Lack of affection and love for the Lord and a lack of wanting to draw near to Him. A lack of desiring to know Him. A lack of to hear from Him. To, to see
0: Him in His Word. I fear, friends, that if that describes you, that you may not understand the grace of God. You may be under the judgment of God. You may be like in Hebrews eleven twenty six. 26. If you go on sinning deliberately, dear friends, a heart that doesn't desire to draw near to God is a sinful heart. It is. And I'm not saying this to somebody who's got this all figured out. Who's perfect. I'm sitting here telling you, like I'm sitting under the weight of this reality as well. Church. I know you are as well. But I want us to notice something. This isn't just an individual call. What's, what's verse 2? Let us, let us, let us, let us draw near.
1: Church, when we gather, when we gather, we're doing this corporately. We're drawing near to God corporately. That's what, that's what we're doing here this morning, even in the preaching of God's word. We're, we're looking at God's word to see the, the holiness of God, to see the character of God, to see, to, to, to see the way God's revealed himself to us in an effort to draw near. That should be our heart's posture. We walk through and we come together. uh, That's our purpose as a church, is to draw near to God. Not theological, just knowledge, although we'll get to that next. But in effort to actually know God, to actually have fellowship with God, to actually experience God, to hear from God, to obey God, to serve God,
0: to the glory of God. We are called to draw near to God. Point three. Because of Christ, we are called to hold on to hope.
1: Because of Christ, we are called to hold on to hope. In verse 23, it says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. These believers here, these Jewish believers who are, who are considering going back to their old ways, who are going back to the law, to abandoning Christ, to,
0: to, to abandon, abandoning what it means to, to follow Christ and, and to go back. The writer of Hebrews calls them to hold fast their confession. Hold fast. Hold fast. To hold the line. I
1: believe these believers are called to hold on to the doctrine that they know is true. Hold on to the doctrine. Hold on to their their confession. Specifically, I, I believe that the theological aspect that they're really
0: called to cling to and hold on to right now is a confession of hope. It's a confession of hope. This is most likely a, an eschatological type of hope. A hope that is to come. A hope that is to come when Christ returns. An eternal hope. Not this momentary hope. Like our hope is not in this life alone, church. I hope we understand that. Our hope is not in the government. It's just not. It's not. It's really not. But it's interesting that we put our hope in the government. And when the government isn't doing what we think the government should should be doing, we lose hope. Our hope is not in our finances. It's not. It's amazing. We don't have money, and then another bill comes in that we can't afford to pay for. We lose hope. Hope is not in our kids. Hope is not in our spouse. Hope is not in our career. Our hope is not even in this church. That it would somehow be so perfect and somehow meet our expectations that it's going to bring lasting hope and joy. It's not. It's just not. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in what he has done. And our hope is what he's going to do. In the midst of of your life, and the struggles,
1: and the trials, and the heartache, in the midst of the ways in which you're disappointed truly in the way our country is headed, and it's politicians, the way even the church is headed,
0: do you ever take time to meditate on the hope that awaits us, church? I mean, do we really get this? Like, Christ is going to do all that he said he would do. Do we get that? Like, Christ isn't in danger of failing here. Like, for the church, there's such... A glorious eternity ahead of us. Like dwelling with Christ. Pure perfection. No sin. No trials. No suffering. No division. No broken marriages. No poverty. No cancer. No, none of that. That is what awaits us. And not for like we wouldn't you kill? Wouldn't you kill church for one day of that? See me like I, I would kill for one moment with my family where we could talk, no drama, nothing. But we got an eternity church ahead of us of joy and righteousness and holiness with our eternal. God, that's what awaits us. Oh, but we walk around with just, like, just, just such mopey people. I do, I'm
1: the worst. Something doesn't go my way. The business doesn't go my way. Family doesn't go my way. Friends don't go my way. The church doesn't go my way. The government doesn't go my way. And I'm just sitting here, like, just uh, poor, pitiful me. Like, Eeyore, you know, sitting there, and I can't find my tail. I'm uh, Just like, you know, sad, little, poor, pitiful me. And, and I, just, I just wonder what God's thinking. I don't know he has mercy on me as his child, but, like, I've just got to imagine. He's like,
0: are you kidding me, Brian? Hold fast to the hope.
1: I mean, Brian, you got this seminary degree you're about to have. You know, you're preaching the Bible. and You claim to be this,
0: you know, this theologian. And you're sitting in the pulpit. And you're getting upset about that. You've got to be kidding me. I know I'm not the only one, am I? We just get beaten down and beaten down and beaten down. Beaten down. But church, we are not a people who have no hope. We're not. We have no right
1: or reason to cower in fear over what's happening in our country right now. We have no right or reason to cower in fear. Christ said he would die and rise from the grave. And he did. Christ said he would build his church. And he's building it. Christ said he would send the Holy Spirit. And he sent him. And Christ said he's going to prepare a place for us. And he's preparing it. And Christ said he will come again. Again.
0: So we wait earnestly and joyfully for him to come again. We hold on to hope without wavering. And finally, because of Christ, we are called to encourage
1: one another. We are called to encourage one another. Because of Christ, we are called to encourage one another. Because of what he accomplished in verses 19 and 20, more specifically, because of what he accomplished in Hebrews 1, Through chapter 10, verses 19 through 20, because of this glorious epistle and the work of Christ accomplishing the law for us, fulfilling all righteousness for us, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, because of his purposes, because of his work, because of Christ, we are called to encourage one another. The writer of Hebrews in verse 24 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you, say, as you see the day drawing near. Final exhortation here in this, past, in this section of scripture is this first to consider something, to consider. This this word, consider, it means to to give something very
0: special consideration. It's given the idea that we're meant to plan for something. In other words, this is not a spontaneous action. This is an
1: intentional action. He's like, I want, the writer of Hebrews, think of it say, saying this way, I want you to be
0: intentional about something. Very, very, very intentional about something. And what should we be intentional at? What should we consider? Stirring up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. This is what we're called to, church. This is what we're called to. In light of what Christ has done, you think about all the things that maybe we'd, we'd be called to do.
1: All, like ten, chap- 10 and a half chapters written about the work of Christ.
0: We've got this little exhortation here right in the middle of the book of Hebrews. Yes, draw near to God. Yes, have confidence. Yes, yes hold on to the hope. But we are called
1: to encourage one another. There's a one another aspect that we miss
0: Again, the gospel, we think, because we have an insufficient view of the gospel. I know I always say this. I'm going to say it again.
1: and Say it again. I need you to say it to me and remind me of this, church. We think the gospel is me and Jesus. Me and Jesus' time. Me and Jesus, you know, walking through the fields. We're holding hands. It's, it's, it's me and Jesus. You know, we're going to go get, you know, couples' pictures together, and they're going to look all good. We're going to go to a field. It's going to have a certain filter on it. We're going to post it on Facebook, get lots of likes. That's not the Christian life.
0: It's not you and Jesus. You alone are not the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. There's no such thing as solo Christianity. There's There's not. Say that again. There's no such thing as solo Christianity. You are not God's plan for the world. The church is God's plan for the world. And you are part of the church if you are in Christ Jesus. You were commanded to gather. Ephesians 4 says this the church is the wisdom of God that is broadcast to the nations. Remember, we talked earlier, what you're saved from, saved from, saved from the
1: wrath of God. Yes, that's part of the gospel. Amen. But you're saved to something. And part of what you're saved to is to the body of Christ. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you are indeed part of Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ, you are in the church. And you're called to be a part, not just of the church globally, uh, the, the, the cosmic church, but, but a local church. A local church. For many of you, this is your local church. What does life look like? What, what, is, what is the exhortation here? What do we do? What is, like, what, what is our activity? Okay, we're part of the local church. I agree with you. Okay, I see it. We can go all throughout God's word and see that like we're supposed to be a part of God's church. We're supposed to be a part of God's local church. What do we do? One of those things, and and I honestly, to a certain extent, believe this, this almost sums up all ministry. Maybe you want to just get as simple as it it gets, I I think it's here. To stir one another up to love and good works. First, we stir up one another. This, this word stir up, it means to provoke. Like stir up is a good word. You think, I mean, you think about like, you're going to go, you're going to go make a drink and you've got to stir it, you know, it's, that's good, but, it's, but if that's not strong enough for you, and I think it's a little stronger than just a, a nice little stir, like maybe you've got your coffee and you're just, or maybe your tea at nighttime and you're going. No, like it's really more to, to provoke, to provoke, or to spur on, or to stimulate. I, any one of these words, like the, the interaction that we are meant to have to, uh, for one another, the consideration, the intentionality, it's pointing towards something, and it's pointing towards that we,
0: one another, Would provoke one another. That we would spur one another on. And notice the words, one another.
1: It's not a one-way street. It's not this. It's not, hey, you guys come to church and be and simply be spurred on by me through the preaching. That you come to church and you and you just receive and you take and you receive
0: and you take. You can get that from a podcast. That's your view of the church? Stay home and listen to your podcast. It's not God's plan
1: for the church. It's not just one guy spurring all of you guys on to righteousness. That's not it. Amen. Amen. It's one another. It's a two-way street. Is that I provoke you, you provoke me. Look around the church. Look, just look around the church. This, th- these are the people, if you're a part of Community Bible Church,
0: that we are all called to spur one another on. And it being a two-way street is this. You are called to spur one another on, and you are also called to be provoked. It's a heart that is bold enough to provoke, and it's a heart that's humble enough to be provoked. It's both. Like,
1: that God is using one of us, each and every one of us, to make us more like Christ. He is. Each and every one of us. That's what he's calling us
0: to do. Friend, you, listen to me, listen to me, you need the church. If you are so arrogant and prideful to think that somehow you don't need this,
1: you are contrary to the will of God and you are walking in disobedience.
0: You are. You're arrogant and you're prideful and you should repent but we are called to stir one another
1: up. You need that. I need that. Oh, I need that. To what? Stir one another
0: up to what? To love and to good works. To love. We spur one another up to love. Love, love for what? Love for God. First, love for God. The whole law
1: can be something of this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We should be stirring up, provoking each other to love God more. It's in the midst of idolatry. If you, if you see your brother or your sister in the church and you see that their life is just full of idolatry, the, the, the love for everything else, love for their career, love for money, love for their reputation, even love for their ministry but they really have no love for God. Dear Christian, friend, brothers and sisters of Community Bible Church, it is your responsibility and it is your joy and it is because you are in
0: Christ and His work that you are called to provoke them to love God more. It is your call to
1: call them to repentance. It is your call to present Christ to them in all His beauty and all His glory according to the scriptures. It is your job and when you, when you see your friend in the, in the midst of hurt, in the hardest situations in, in life, there's, there's, a, there's a time for empathy and there's a time to love. And we should always empathize and we should always be understanding. We should always listen, but also our goal in every interaction, even in the midst of hurt, is to spur gently and probably in those moments, but, but to gently nudge them to see the goodness of Christ and to love him more, to see his value, to see how he meets us in our hurt. But to see how he can bring us joy. Oh, in the midst of trials or in the midst of
0: apathy, when we see a brother who just, quite frankly, doesn't care. It is our job to spur them on, church.
1: It is your job in the midst of your apathy as you see this. Maybe you're in that season. Maybe you've had a brother in, in, the, in the church who has is, who is attempted with all their might to spur you on to love God more. It is your job if you are in Christ to look at this and by the power of the Holy Spirit repent and to see the goodness, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's even in the most joyful and happy season of life when everything is going your way, you're healthy, you've got money in the bank, your marriage is going well, the Lord's using you in the church in great, mighty ways. It's our job to keep us pointed on the, and our eyes on the direction of Jesus Christ to see that He is good, that He is better than everything this world has to offer, even the best of the best. We are to spur one another on to love God, but also to, to love our neighbor. To spur one another on to to love the lost. To to understand that that out here there's there's thousands and thousands of people in our community that if they died
0: they would go to hell. To have compassion on them. Love for the lost. A heart for the lost. To spur one another on to love the unlovable. Those who are,
1: are just testing our patience. It's not, it's, we're not to spur one... Like oftentimes we can get together and spur one another on towards anger, spur, uh, spur one another on towards, towards um, resentment and gossip, but the Bible calls us to spur one another on towards love. As Matt talked about last week, in forgiveness. It's, it was spur one another on
0: towards love and, for, and forgiveness. That's, that's the job. Not, I understand how much he hurt you, and here's what I would do if I were you. To spur one another on for the love for the body. The love for Community Bible Church. Oh, it's so easy in a small church to just get burnt out and to think the worst of everybody. Isn't it? It's easy to let your emotions go and to sin against one another and just never talk about it, and ultimately you just leave. We are called to stir one another up to love one another. That's what we're called to do, church. The world leaves. The world cancels. The world doesn't deal with our problems. The world doesn't forgive. We are not the world. We are bought with the blood of Christ. We're called to stir one another up to love. We're called to stir one another up to good works.
1: We are called to provoke one another to righteous deeds.
0: To provoke one another to righteous deeds and and to godly living. I think this looks like evangelism. We are called to provoke one another to evangelize our lost and dying culture. We are called to provoke
1: one another to disciple making. We we are called to, to provoke one another to serve the poor to serve the widows, to serve the orphans. We are called to provoke one another, to repent of our sin. You see a brother in sin? How do you respond, church? Ignore it? Hope it goes away? Do you think this is just the job of the elders? Hopefully I'll tell the elders and the elders can deal
0: with it? This book, Hebrews ain't written to the elders. Church, you see your brother in sin,
1: it is your job to approach them. It is your job to provoke
0: them to repentance. It is your job. It is my job. It is looking like provoking. We see our husbands
1: not washing your wife in the water of the word. It is to provoke husbands.
0: Wash your wife in the water of the word. Ladies, you're you're provoking other Wives, to submit to your husband. Even when he's a joke. To honor him out of your love and reverence for Christ. This is
1: provoking one another to love and to good works. In other words, church, we are called
0: to get into each other's business. We're called to get into each other's business. We don't passively watch someone go down the road of destruction. We don't.
1: We do not passively watch someone go down the road of destruction. We continually pursue them and pursue them and pursue them and pursue them and point them to Christ. This is an area I have not done well. There's been many times where I've noticed a pattern in someone's life and I didn't pursue them. I can bring them a meal, I can serve them well, meet their needs, physical needs. But there's a fearful, there's
0: something that, that, that wells up within me fear when, it, when I'm called to, to actually call them to repent of their sin. But out of love for the body of Christ, and out of love for that individual, we are called
1: to pursue them and to spur them on towards righteousness. Church, would we do that? How many people throughout the years have we seen that? We can't control what people do. We can't control how people react. We're not called to control how they react. We're not called to control their conversion. We're not called to control any of that. But how many people maybe have you seen, even in our body, that all of a sudden they they, they, they get further and further away, more detached, more out on the edges, more out on the field, more you can't even see them anymore, and you just all of a sudden wonder where do they go? When all along we... we, we The first signs of of trouble, the first signs where they're detached, we would pursue them. You know, it's much easier. It's much easier to cure cancer when you catch it early. It's almost impossible to catch cancer when it's stage four. May we be a church that, that our eyes are open to people who are struggling, people who are walking in sin, marriages that are hurting, uh, all of these things. May we, be, may we see the call to be intentional,
0: which involves being together. It just does. Not neglecting to meet together. You cannot do this from afar. Like, if there's one thing in life, I'll say it, if there's one thing in life that, that, that your life my
1: life, my family's lives, my kids' lives. If there's one thing that that, that it needs to revolve
0: around, it's the life of the local church. It is. Not your career. Not your sports. The local church. Why? Why? Because it is only through the local church that we're going to be spurred on
1: to righteousness. It's only through the local church that we're going to be be spurred on to to love God more and to love our neighbor and to be who God's called us to be and to do what God's called us to do. This is God's plan for your life, church. Hear me. Hear me. It's better to be poor but to be spurred on to the righteousness of Christ. It's better to be cut from the team but to be spurred on to love God and to love your neighbor.
0: Oh, Jesus is so much better than everything this world has to offer. The church is so essential. And I mean, let me, let me get more specific. The local church is so essential.
1: Spurring one another on to love and good deeds, it's so essential encouraging one another. It's just so essential. Church, you need it. i don't include myself, so don't be like, oh, he said you. I mean me, but I'm talking to you. You need it.
0: Hear me. Hear me. You need it. You need it desperately. God made you to receive this. You
1: need it. This is God's grace in your life. The local church is God's grace in your life. Are we a pain in the butt? Yes, sometimes. Do we sin
0: against one another? Yes, we do. Are we perfect? No. Oh, but this is God's plan for your life. We gather, not neglecting to meet together as some do, as is the habit of some. This means as is the lifestyle of some. if it is is the habit of your life, if it it characterizes your life to not be a part of a local church, I'm going to say this fearfully, but I'm I'm not holding back. If, If it characterizes your life to not be a part of the local church, at the very best,
1: at the very best, you're an unfaithful believer walking
0: in sin in need of repentance. At the very best, to speak that most positively. But at the worst, you're an unbeliever. You're unconverted. And you stand to wait the judgment of God. spoken about in Hebrews 10, 26 through 39. This is a sobering reality, isn't it? But it's a joyful reality. What we do is we spur one another on to love and good deeds, and we encourage one another. Because listen, as daunting as this sounds, our salvation has been paid for. And as daunting as this sounds, Christ has sent his spirit to live in us. And as
1: daunting as this sounds, that spirit is what allows us to persevere and to walk in righteousness. As daunting as this sounds, we believe in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And that doesn't just mean that those once saved, always saved, although it does mean that but it means this, that once saved, you will walk in righteousness. And when you are confronted with your sin, which we all have, when when confronted, the Holy Spirit will work in your heart to convict you of your sin and empower you to walk in righteousness. Your
0: salvation from start to finish, even your perseverance, is not a work of yourself. It's a work of God and the fruit of that good seed and the good soil sprouting forth, it's all God. It's not you. It's not. So the Christian, he hears this and maybe, he says, man, I I haven't been drawing near to God. I haven't been living with hope. I, I haven't been gathering with the saints and encouraging one another. He hears that. And he's cut to the core. He's cut. He says, he confesses, as as Doug talked about a few weeks ago, he
1: confesses his sins knowing that his sins have already been dealt with. And he praises God that even in the midst of his sinfulness that has been paid for by the blood of Christ, he can
0: still approach God with his sin knowing that it's been paid for by Christ. The unbeliever, and maybe this is you right now, hardens his heart. Right now you're angry. You're thinking of all the reasons this couldn't possibly be true.
1: You you suppress the truth? You suppress Ephesians, you suppress John, you suppress James, you suppress the book of Hebrews. You suppress it. That couldn't possibly be true. Because a preacher one day told me that if I
0: prayed this prayer, I walked this aisle that I'm a Christian and no 36-year-old punk who thinks he's
1: self-righteous, sitting up there in his pulpit, can tell me otherwise. Dear friend, I would point you to the Bible. Who cares what I say? Point to the Bible.
0: Look what it says. Those who are in Christ will persevere. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean they're perfect. But it does mean when confronted with their sin, they will repent. They will. Christians, this is what faithful living looks like. This is what faithful living looks like. It is, it is, it is not at all less than this. It, it is not at all less than this. May we be found faithful, Community Bible Church.